15. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The New Testament reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, drink, eat, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Just a couple quick announcements. Uh, first, I'm Chris Bear. I'm the pastor here. Those of you who are visiting, we are thrilled you're with us today. Holy Week is coming up. I wanted to make it a special pulpit announcement just to get everyone ready. There's so much exciting things happening. First, the very first thing, how we inaugurate it is our Easter egg hunt party. Uh, please, if you don't have kids, you're still allowed to invite them to come. Uh, it's, a, it's an op- amazing opportunity. We, each year we have kids who've never heard the story, hear it for the first time. So come participate. If you are a member of the church and you still want to show up and help, show up and help. We have adults that need to be interacted with as well. So that's exciting. During the week, we have our morning uh, prayer service uh, that will happen on Monday morning early. Uh, we'll have an evening, just small prayer communion services. They're very special. We turn this into a little chapel. Our Wednesday night is our big uh, uh, praise and worship night. And then Thursday uh, will be our, our Christian Passover Seder. It's the, the Passover meal they celebrated, but we're going to look and see how it's pointing so much to Christ. It's going to be a wonderful catered meal um, by Maggiano's. We're going to do it here now that the room is pretty. Um, we're going to do it here, and it's going to be fantastic. So uh, make sure you RSVP for that. And then we have Good Friday, and then we have Easter. And so we're encouraging all of you to make sure that... Um, Palm Sunday, Easter, and Good Friday are already calendared in. Uh, your, your phones are going to remind you, but we encourage you to try to come to at least one of the other events we are offering to make it a truly a holy, a holy week. That being, uh, that being said, uh, also if you're interested in helping out with flowers, contact Nona as well. Uh, that being said, we're now entering our final uh, sermon on the Ten Commandments. It's our 11th sermon on the Ten Commandments, if you're confused. Um, we had an extra one to get you ready. Uh, and this final one, to not covet, um, kind of really, as you'll see, is going to really kind of piece them all together. And what we've been looking at, again, how these, how these work, how they, how they come together, and, and we're going to see is that the, the, there's something bigger God was trying to do with this. And, and if you saw them as small, isolated things, but not one big... Uh, message, then you missed the commandments, missed the point of the commandments, and missed what they were trying to do in and through your hearts. Uh, if you guys have ever uh, uh, seen, someone asked, you know, it seems like there are a lot of do not, do not, do not, do not. Why, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't, couldn't they do this, do this, do this, but it's do not, do not, do not. And it reminds me thinking about how as you go through life, you see lots of 
uh, warning labels everywhere that says, do not do this, do not do that. And it reminded me of friends of mine who did very knuckleheaded things. And because they did that knuckleheaded thing, now there's a rule that says, do not do this. And so I went and found some funny ones. One is, I'll tell you what it is and see if you can guess before I show you the picture. One is, do not use on the highway. Warning is on wheelbarrows. So you know somebody somewhere took a wheelbarrow on the back of a truck or something and was trying to see if they could move it on the highway. Here's another one uh, that says, um, uh, uh, do not put children in it. It's a dishwasher. (laughs) You know that means someone thought, what happens if the kid can fit? Um, One says, take child out before you fold it. A stroller. <laughs> Again, someone thought, maybe I can do this. Oh, wait, we now need to put a warning because you didn't figure that out. Uh, one of my favorite ones I saw, this is the last one, was uh, do not use while wearing shirts. That is the warning label you'll find on irons. You know that someone complained somewhere saying, I tried to this and they now need to put a warning because you weren't paying attention. Part of the gospel message is that something is wrong with our hearts. There's another warning we get a lot on very fine packages that say, do not shake. And when something is shaken, if it's made of glass or something, it can get shattered. Part of the message of the gospel of Christ is that your heart is indeed shattered. And Christ has come to do two things. Not only uh, occupy your hearts, but to heal your hearts that are shattered. And as we're going to see what the commandments are saying, how do we go about doing this, repairing the shattered? The commandments are basically saying, this is where we start. This is where we hang out. This is where we end. In addition to that, um, this final commandment, the tenth one, is definitely more like a capstone than just another one at the end. Many theologians and scholars have believed this is the one that actually sets all the other ones in action. You violate this one, violating this one is the beginning of violating all the other ones. We'll see that this commandment itself proves that the problem has always been deeper than your actions. So pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We love to see the room empty out with children and teachers taking them upstairs. We pray now that you would bless them, Holy Spirit, with the gospel penetrating their hearts and minds, that they may know you more deeply. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would do that here. Lord, may we love you more. May we realize how much more we need you as a result of your words this morning. May you receive all the glory. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So again, how do we begin this? Exodus twenty seventeen. do not covet. Do not covet any of your neighbor's properties, whether it's his wife, his maidservant, um, uh, donkey, land, nothing. Don't covet what they have. So how was it originally viewed? How did they understand it? Well, the definition that they really ran by was basically uh, to covet is a disconnected desire for that which cannot be had. You've, you've disconnected from God and you're now desiring something that you're not allowed, that's not yours. Uh, it goes beyond when it talks about the neighbor's wife, goes beyond, because he's already given this command, don't commit adultery. This goes beyond just, again, wanting anything someone else has that's not yours. And, and it's, gonna, it's understanding it stems from somewhere, somewhere deeper. We see multiple examples of this, even in the Old Testament. We see uh, the people of God themselves um, at the end of the time of Judges. God's been giving them leaders and they're like, we just want our own thing. We look around. We have what you're giving us, God, but we'd like a, everyone else seems to have a king. We want a king. And God says, I'll give you what you think you want. We see it again where King David looked around and 
said, I have everything, but I just want more. There's so many examples in our own lives where we too were not satisfied by what we had and wanted more. Indeed, this message is really for, if any of you have ever had to interact with, actually any adults really, but kids too, um, and you're sitting somewhere and someone, if you have around little kids, and, and they just do something that makes no sense. You know, you're, you're in a room and there's just one, you know, toy sitting in the middle of the table. And you're like, don't, don't, don't play with the toy until I get back. And they're like, got it. And you go, okay, just don't, don't play with it. Just, I, I have to put it together. It's not ready yet. Just wait. Got it. And you walk out of the room and you hear, and you walk back in. What did you do? And the answer is, I don't really know. <laughs> I was here. It was here. It just kind of happened. But we do that as adults as well. Something kind of takes over us and we make horrible decisions. And when you're presented with why you're doing this, you're kind of thought to say, I really don't know why I did what I did. I think I know, but I really don't. And, and why the, 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 the leaders back uh, this time when they heard this commandment, well, they struggled with this, they understood what coveting was. But unlike the other commandments, there, wasn't, there, wasn't, there is no device you can literally put on your heart to not covet. Right? It's... It's completely internal. It's a desire thing. You can't just not have a desire. It's not a switch. You can just turn off. And so where the, the, the how they missed it, how the, they, they begin to misunderstand it, um, is that they begin to say maybe to, to fulfill the 10th commandment is just to tell people just don't do it. This reminded me of uh, famous expression when you're watching sports and there's just someone who's, who's just so intense and, and they just can't be stopped whether it's on the basketball court or on the football field or wherever it is and they just, you just kind of say you can't stop him, you can only hope to contain him. Right? He's just so amazing you can't stop him, you just want to try and contain him. And where they begin to think was maybe since we can't really stop this maybe we can contain covetousness. And that's where the problem began. They begin to think that they could even contain it. You can't even contain it, let alone stop it. So this is where the struggle began. And for maybe many of you, you think the, the best way to, to combat desires that are not appropriate, whatever they are, is to just contain it, not stop it, try to avoid it. But again, the, the message we're seeing, we've been seeing hopefully, that Christ has been saying is that these commandments are there to show you something, to remind you of something. But what they're definitely there is not to make you think you've got it figured out. And especially with do not, again, as uh, so many scholars have said, you can't break the other nine without breaking this one first. It's when you begin to long for another, another way, another God, another life, that you reject God himself and therefore you violated the first four. You begin to think you are better than your neighbors or the people around you, that your desires are more important than them and you break commandments five through 10, five through nine. So it all kind of comes from here. So how does Christ talk about this commandment? How does he bring it together? How does the gospel view the 10th commandment. Well, as we read in the catechism, the 
beginning, the first question of the Westminster Confession of Faith, the, the, the documents written to help us how to understand um, biblical uh, Christianity, Christianity based on the Bible, the very first question they ask is, what is the chief end of man? The very first question is, what is our goal? What is our purpose in this life? And the answer is to worship God and enjoy Him forever. Well, that can only be obtained if you're completely satisfied in what you have in God. The Tenth Commandment. If you're not completely satisfied in God, then you will always covet. And if you always covet, then you will never be able to enjoy the very first question of the Catechism, which what is our chief end? To glorify God, enjoy Him forever. That's why this commandment is so important. We see in Romans 7, uh, Paul, when talking specifically about this, this covenant, he, I mean this commandment, he's saying, you know, if, if the commandment to not covet wasn't there, I wouldn't have understood how much I covet. He's saying this, this commandment revealed so much to his own heart. Again, in Ephesians, when Paul is talking about covetousness, again, how, does the, how do the New Testament writers understand this? The way Paul basically describes it in chapter 5 is basically this. If the word um, covet, you're someone who covets, if it describes you, if that's an adjective used to describe you, you can no longer be associated with Christianity. It is not a word that's allowed to be used to describe those who are following Christ. That's how serious and how much they understood the importance of what coveting can do to the human soul or what it reflects about the human soul. So much of they're saying that covetedness is linked to not being part of the family of God. Again, doesn't mean it's now God stops loving you because you do it, but it does mean that this word is so vile to the life of Christ, to those following Christ, that he's saying I shouldn't be used ever in association with anyone who's following Christ. Hopefully that might make you a little bit nervous right now, thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> how do people describe me? Well, let's look now at a passage where Jesus is talking about this covenant, this commandment. It's in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 uh, uh, through 21. We've already read it, but the beginning starts off with this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to him, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So what is the beginning here? What is this talking about? Well, first off, the, the rabbis were used to answer everyday questions. And so guy was saying, all right, Jesus is a rabbi. I'm going to go ask him about this. And Jesus responds to this first thing. I'm not, uh, someone once gave me a, a real a challenge once. Can you prove all the different ways Jesus tells you he's God than just simple verses, how, how he's inferred it or referenced it. And here's the passage where someone's saying, I'm coming to you as a rabbi. And he's saying, I'm more than a rabbi. I'm not here to answer your little everyday questions. I'm here to point you to God. Because that's what he responds to this guy saying, I'm not here to decide. This is a conversation you would actually take to a rabbi. And he's saying, I'm not that kind of a rabbi. I'm the rabbi. I'm the one who's telling you how to find God. So he goes, you know what the problem here is? Isn't on who gets what inheritance. The problem is you're coveting. And so he brings it to bear immediately to his heart. And brings up this question of life. 
Right there, did you see that? Man, who made you a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covenants, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is saying that there's something bigger and greater. Your life is on the line. This is about your life, not about inheritance. And so again, like Jesus so often does, he's saying this is going to go much deeper than you think. If you want to come to me and ask me a question, prepare for the answer that I'm about to give you. We call this the parable um, of the rich fool. It's a lesser known parable. That's what we call it. So Jesus is about to give this man a parable about the rich fool. And this is what he says. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones there. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So he tells them, there's a guy who has given much. And he looks at what he has and says, that's just not enough. I will tear down what I have and build something so I can have even more. And then Jesus, again, pushes it further by, look, he says, then he, he says to himself, to his soul, now, now we can start being happy, eat, drink, and be merry. So a man, no matter what state he was in before, was because he didn't have more, was not satisfied. And he's saying, now that I have other stuff, I have more, and I'm going to amass even more, now my soul will be happy. The warning being, if that is how you're living your life, that it's about obtaining, if there's just a little, if there's something you, you can have that will make your soul satisfied, eat, drink, and be merry. Again, this guy is saying, I, I want my inheritance. Again, remember the idea of covenant is not being satisfied or an inappropriate dissatisfaction with what you have and what someone else has. Jesus is going to now respond to him and tell him exactly what this comes from. This reminded me of when uh, I'm with people and I'm with foodies. Some of you might be a foodie. You know, we're all guilty of doing this. But I've been people like before that the meal comes at a restaurant or something and you pray and give thanks for it. And then you start eating. You're like, oh, this is disgusting. Oh, and I'm like, I'm like I don't think we can complain about the food after we've given thanks for it. It kind of makes doesn't make as much sense. Um, and the same way, like when we pray and we're thankful, but then we're completely unthankful by our actions. Or by our words. It's kind of where this is coming at. You were saying and doing something. I, I'm, I, if by saying you're, you're a follower of Christ, what you're saying is you are satisfied deep in your core. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That you're so satisfied here that what happens around you, which could be horrible, it could be great, it could be devastating, it could be earth-shattering, but whatever it is doesn't phase you here. You're still completely satisfied here. The goal we tell people to a strong marriage isn't to have the perfect marriage, it's to have the perfect Christ satisfying your soul so you can then live with a person who's not perfect. And you're stop relying on them to be perfect for you. In the same way here, in a similar way, Christ is challenging their hearts. 
And this is the challenge he gives them. He says, listen, if you think it's about something else, it's always about something else, you're in for a horrible, rude awakening. Because how does this parable end? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will those be? So with those who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. He's saying the end will always come and you will receive your reward based on where your heart was placed. If your reward is what this life can offer, then all you get at the end is what this life can offer, which is nothing. If your reward is in God, then at the end, some greater reward comes than you could even hope to find in this life. He's saying your covetedness is saying that you are not satisfied in your soul. And the only one who can satisfy your soul is Christ. And the way he does that is through the gospel, through sending his son to redeem, save, repair your hearts. One thing I want to point out here, can we call this the rich fool? When we were talking about do not murder, we talked about Jesus says in Matthew that anyone who says you fool is guilty of hell. And now in this parable, Jesus is saying, God is saying, you fool to this guy. What's going on there? Well, this reminded me a little bit of Stephen Hawking, who just passed away. Uh, by many accounts, Stephen Hawking was considered one of the most brilliant minds ever. And he was an ardent atheist. Very open, so I feel it's okay to... He was so open about it, I feel like it's okay to talk about it, even though he just passed away this week. Very open about what it means to be an atheist. Now, if you were to compare... Actually, he has a funny quote. He said, um, basically, um, intelligent life... People are asking if aliens exist, and he goes, intelligent life is rare. So rare. Some people wonder if we've even found it on Earth yet. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, but... Uh, if you were to compare, so the word uh, that's used in Matthew where Jesus is saying you can't use this word or you're guilty of hell is the same word we get the word for moron. You're kind of saying that the, the, the character's not there. The, 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 the fool he's talking about there is saying they're, they're dim-witted. The fool that's used here is mostly used in context for someone who knows they have God and has decided to go somewhere else. It's a different word completely in the Greek. So the example would be if you were to compare my understanding of astrophysics and, and the way the universe works to Stephen Hawking's, I would be a fool like we see in Matthew. I'd be a moron compared to, to Stephen Hawking's. But if you were to compare Stephen Hawking's brilliant mind, ardent atheist, to the simple faith of a five-year-old who understands that they come from God and are going to meet God when they die, he is this kind of fool. He misses what's right before him. And Christ is saying, we too are fools if we see what we have and say we want more. Do you guys know what a, uh, uh, if you've heard this term, functional alcoholic is? If you were to ask someone what is an alcoholic, you'd usually say they stumble around a lot, full of broken relationships and horrible decisions and, and just horrible shambles of life. But there's also something called a functional alcoholic, which is someone who's so... Um, so caught up in their alcoholism that they're actually immune to like level one alcoholism. They, they, drink so, they drink a certain amount, it doesn't even affect them, even though they're completely addicted to it. They need to drink even more to show the signs of what we think of as a classic alcoholic, but they're a functional or high-functioning alcoholic, meaning like they look perfectly normal on the outside, but on the inside they're completely 
uh, completely hooked, addicted to alcohol, and they're, they're just basically walking drunk all the time. It's just they're functional. You don't notice it. And I couldn't help, and I was thinking about these commandments and how we approach them. As followers of Christ, how we approach them, how important are these commandments? I've been trying to show each week how Christ is saying, it's not only these are just kind of important, these are essential. And I was thinking about how really, if I were to describe how myself a lot of times looks, I would call myself and many of us describing ourselves as functional atheists. We look on the outside like we got it figured out, but on the inside, are we truly craving God's word? Are we truly craving the gospel? Are we truly truly craving these commandments to be a life-giving part of our life? And Christ is saying he has come to bring these, to make these lie alive and active in our hearts. But for so many, so many of us, we don't live like these commandments are essential to our hearts. So one question you have to ask yourself, are you acting more like a functional atheist? You're living more like an atheist right now, even though you claim to be a follower of Christ. What reveals whether or not Christ is your Lord and Savior is what's going on inside of your heart. Following the commandments does not make you a Christian, but what's going on inside of your heart does. Who is there? What is your heart beating for or beating against? In essence, are we not all these rich fools? We have the gospel, yet for some reason, we think it's not enough. So the question is, how does the gospel view this commandment? What the commandments are supposed to do is set your heart to a different tune so that you're the song you're singing in this life is so radically different. It's both repelling and drawing people away, drawing people closer, but it's pointing towards Christ. How does the gospel view this commandment? Like water on a dead, dry plant. Like a balm on our lips. This commandment is supposed to come and bring refreshing newness to us. The commandments are supposed to come and do that within us. Our hearts are supposed to be aflame by the gospel. And we are aflame by the gospel. What it looks like is these commandments are filling our hearts out of joy and response, not burdensome or pain but they're changing us who we are, how we live, how we look, how we interact with everyone around us. That's what they're supposed to look like. Remember, as each of the commandments, you talk about what these promote and prohibit, and I feel like this one, what this commandment, what this do not covet is reading it. What is it promoting? It's promoting a converted heart. What it's saying is your heart, your heart must be converted. Without your heart being converted, you will always crave someone or something else, something more, something different. Your heart must be converted. And what I think it prohibits is complacency. Here's a definition of complacency. A feeling of quiet pleasure or security, often while unaware of some potential danger, defect, or the like. 
self-satisfaction or smug satisfaction with an existing situation or condition. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you thinking you are okay when you are not. At the beginning, I talked about what, what it is. What is it Christ has come to do? What is the gospel coming to do? A person fulfilling the commandments, in essence, does one thing. They're running to Christ. That's what it looks like when someone is, the commandments are beginning to take over in their hearts. What it looks like on the outside is someone who's longing and drawing closer to Jesus Christ. Again, from my open assertion about the shattered heart, remember that? The gospel has come to tell us, one, we have a shattered heart, and God needs to do something about that shattered heart. And these commandments, these commandments are kind of, if you think about it own way, it's, it's kind of like the glue as God's repairing them. These commandments are showing how our hearts need to be put back together. So really, when I think about the commandments, there's two things I think the commandments generally do for all of us, why they're so important. Is first, the commandments give us a picture. The commandments give you a picture of your heart. Your, the commandments show you that your heart is shattered and in need of the gospel every day. The commandments will constantly remind you of how amazing Christ is and how, fall, how short we fall. We get a picture of holiness. And that picture looks just like Jesus Christ. The commandments also give us a vision. The second thing they give us is a vision. They get a vi- give us a vision for what holiness will look like on this earth. They give us a vision for what it looks like when Christ is reigning in your heart. And they give us a vision, a small glimpse of what eternity is going to be like. So how important are the Ten Commandments? They give us a picture of Christ. They give us a vision of Christ. So again, the question we have to ask is, what is broken inside of you? What needs redeeming? What needs replacing? What needs restoration? What are these commandments to you? What are these commandments to you when it involves your children, the people around you? How important are they? How important were they to Christ? So come to Christ, find salvation, redemption, hope, purpose, and meaning. And when you find that, you'll find that the commandments are life-giving. Apart from that first part, the commandments will never do more than bring you down. But with Christ as your Lord and Savior, with Him being your all, these commandments bring you ever closer to Him. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for these commandments. Lord Jesus, you are revealing to us your heart. Lord, help us not to be repulsed by your heart. Help us to be repulsed by our own hearts. Lord, help us to cling to you and to your word above what our hearts are telling us. Help us to see that our hearts are shattered and broken. And it's only through you, Lord God, that they will be restored to what they should be. Lord, help us to fall in love with your word and your commandments a work only you can do. Help us to be completely satisfied in what we have in you. And may that change our marriages, 
our work, our personal lives, the way we parent, the way everything we do. All to your glory. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please stand for our final song.